Hello and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring dream-accelerating inspiration. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator coaching process at jeffmeyer.org. You can click on the Move Forward Anyway tab and watch all of these episodes in video form, or you can download wherever you like to get your podcasts from. I'm your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach, Jeff Meyer. Hey, fellow dreamers. Grateful to have you with us today uh, for this episode. I am grateful to have the opportunity to talk with author, entrepreneur, dreamer extraordinaire, and uh, spiritual director, Pastor Justin Rosso. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to join my audience here and uh, to share a little bit of your story with us. Uh, Jeff, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks. And I would be remiss if I didn't start with a huge congratulations on your most recent book that you published uh, called Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Uh, what an awesome, refreshing change of pace in the discipleship conversation. I am enjoying this book the third time I'm reading through it uh, with our congregation right now. So thank you for, for putting this dream out into the world. And congratulations on your award with Biba, uh, the Best Indie Book Award. Thanks. Yeah, that was, that was really special. It felt good to have someone besides my mom tell me that they thought it was a good book. So yeah, it was cool. Thanks. Right? We don't uh, start out writing these things or offering these things to the world with the thought that we're going to win an award or anything like that. We just have something in our hearts that we need to get out. And it is really cool when it gets acknowledged yeah. as something that's valuable in the world. So again, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. And I let me ask you about the book. What, what prompted you to write it? Oh, well, uh, I think the whole idea that uh, this, this thing called following Jesus should be a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's hard and it means dying to yourself, which is not easy. And it means carrying a, a burden, uh, certainly. But it's the same Jesus who, who you know, said that his burden was easy and, and light and that the one who lost their life for his sake would find it. It, it just seemed to me that uh, there was something there. And it really came out of an exploration of scripture. So the idea that following Jesus should be actually exciting and fun and intriguing and uh, difficult, but also beautiful, that was kind of a, a fundamental question. And then going back to scripture and finding this theme of delight that really runs cover to cover and stands, I have to say, stands as clear and as resounding as the, the poor, miserable sinner message, which is also true. But this, this idea that you are also God's delighted, uh, delightful treasure that has been lost and come under enemy-occupied territory, and, and he desires to pay any price joyfully to get that thing back that he so desperately loves and desires. Uh, the fact that you are living your life and, and trying to figure out what you're doing and trying to take a next step, not in order to gain God's delight, but out of God's delight because he already delights in you. That, uh, that was an important message for me. And um, it kind of was the fruition of, of several years of study and was really glad to be able to get it down in a way that I feel like I kind of I kind of was able to say what I've been meaning all along in, in this book. And that was really special for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I find that um, with the writing of your book and the launching of your entrepreneurial venture that you're in the middle of right now, um, leading and growing, there's probably a lot of similarities about writing the book and starting the um, mm. findmynextstep.org uh, business and next step press that you're yeah. launching. Um, the emotions that go into putting that out into the world, risking that as an, as an offering to the world, uh, is caught up with a lot of uh, emotions, a lot of fears. Mm -hmm. So maybe just talk to us a little bit about 
um, some of the fears before we talk about uh, the genesis of find my next step. Talk to me a little bit about the fears of publishing this book. Well, I think anytime you do something new or put something out there, you, especially if you show some of your own heart, you do run a risk. And uh, certainly in today's culture where we tend to frame everything in terms of, of battle or warfare, uh, to put myself out there and my theology, even my a way of reading the Bible out there, you open yourself up to critique and criticism and, and even attack. And uh, I think that one of the things that's helpful for me is, is part of the basic tenet of the book is you're not doing these things in order to gain approval. Uh, it, mm. you're, you're, you're acting out of an approval that's already yours that already kind of sets me free. I don't have a need to be right. It, it would be okay with me if someone showed me that, you know, chapter seven was reading the Hebrew wrong, that, that wouldn't, I, I don't have to be afraid of that. And yeah. I can also put this out kind of with an open hand and say, I, I think there might be somebody that needs to read this, right? I needed to read it. I needed, it's amazing how you can go back and read something. It, it's you, you preach regularly. So you know what it's like to have a message that you've delivered and then you listen to it or read it a few weeks later and it really hits you at, almost as an outside observer of your, your own uh, preaching. But that, that sense that the, the, this thing has been set loose in the world that has a life of its own being able to let it go and to stand on its own and not have my identity tied up in this book and how well it sells or what people think of it is also, I think, a key step to be able to differentiate between just who I am and my own value and the value of the book. If the book was awful, it, you know, I, I still have value. And as the book gets some critical acclaim, that doesn't mean I'm particularly wonderful. It, it It's uh, kind of well-received and I appreciate that, but I don't have to invest my self-identity with the success of the book, I guess. I think um, also in some respects, taking the entrepreneurial leap for those who are listening, those who have a dream of maybe doing something they've been thinking about for a while, um, actually taking the step forward can help us um, actually develop or uncover, maybe is a better word, or discover our true identity. Um, it's in the risking that we learn that we're, we're loved irrespective of how it's received. Uh, but if you never put it out there, you may never learn that you're already approved, you're already valued. Um, so it kind of puts the, the value thing, the, the identity thing in action. Hmm. You know, the Chinese proverb says, uh, the, the way is made by walking in it. Right. So, and another thought I had was, as you were talking is authors often say that they never write for anybody else. They write for themselves. And so there's a message in there for Justin, even as there is for anyone who reads your, reads your work. Yeah, I think there's, there's some truth to that. Um, I, I did have a few close friends in mind as I wrote, and, and I guess I was also in, in that audience of, you know, four or five uh, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, you you mentioned you you risk when you take that step when you you take that leap you learn a lot about yourself and I think that's absolutely true. That's certainly one of the things that I, in some ways, even struggle with. That um, when when I had a fairly structured career and there were other people that had input on what I was supposed to do. And there's an actual job description written down that said, here's what, what we, and whether or not anybody ever paid attention to the job description, at least theoretically, there was somebody that would, you know, every once in a while, make sure you weren't working, you know, 90 hours a week and wanted to make sure you're working at least, you know, 40 or 50, but there was a fairly set expectation in the rhythm of the life that I knew. And to take this step meant all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm my own boss and I write my own job description and it doesn't get done if I don't do it. And sometimes it's okay if it doesn't get done. And uh, I was just talking to a friend the other day that, you know, I, I 
I don't like my boss right now a lot because he is he has no concept of what you can actually get done in a day. And we were laughing about that because, you know, yeah, it's you. Oh, it's me. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, so I've learned a lot about myself and, and my strengths and some of my blind spots because there aren't other people to cushion that or to mm. even even if I don't blame them overtly, they in my own imagination, I can at least lay more than uh, perhaps is accurate on the, at their feet in, in any kind of, you know, situation or failure. So yeah, when it's just you, man, you, you've got to come to grips with, I can't do everything and I'm not good at everything. And mm. there is something unique I have to offer. And how do I manage, shoot, how do I keep doing the thing I'm called to do when there's always other shiny things around to distract you? Uh, so it's, I haven't figured it out. I'll put it that way. It's a process. So I love that you alluded to the um, and introduced us to this idea that you you had a rather significant shift in your work life in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and now you you are the guy leading FindMyNextStep.org um, org and Next Step Press. Mm-hmm. And so, talk to us about share with us the the genesis of this dream where this idea of the next step and mm-hmm. finding my next step mm-hmm. as a pastor um, leading a congregation a very um, growing and dynamic congregation, actually. Um, talk to me about the genesis of that dream yeah. to help people find their next step. where did that come from? Well, um, I don't know how typical it would be for, for any one of your listeners, but I know for me, it, it was a long time coming. Uh, in some ways, I was trying to figure out a way to do that when I was a, a discipleship pastor down in Texas. I was kind of the third guy on the totem pole, uh, and that was a really good place to kind of live and experiment with creating a discipling culture at the local congregation. And then I, I took a, a position on a team of people up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, also with the idea that maybe this kind of new setting would be a way to more effectively implement some of the, the thoughts and ideas and passions that I had. And uh, I'd always been trying to marry the, the practical application and congregational setting with the theoretical. I've, I've done some you know, guest teaching at the seminary. I've done some writing and was trying to balance that with the, the parish and congregational life. And, and I guess I would say the idea comes from uh, just the basic concept that if we're going to actually put this into real life practice, it's, we've got to find a way to have non-heroic examples of following Jesus. Like every sermon can't cause you to turn your entire life around and, and stop, you know, stop embezzling from the bank. And, and uh, you know, like every, every sermon is going to completely change you from being this God awful sinner to the most perfect person. You know, it's not, it's not like that in real life. Um, there are days and there are moments when you take huge leaps of faith or, or the spirit grabs you and, and there's a transformation that's almost immediate. And thank God for when that happens. But in my experience, uh, if, if you didn't have that moment, what, what are you supposed to do? And so trying to develop the, the tools and methods and encouragement and even the right language and metaphors that help people delight in taking a small next step. Because it, once you take a small next step and, and then another one and then another one, you find you've actually covered some distance. And that just always struck me as a much more biblical model for, for discipleship, following and, and walking together and uh, exploring and an adventure of discovery. And I, I guess I always felt called to, to write or perhaps better kind of create some kind of content, I, the multi-platform I love. So we've got the Next Step Community blog that I, I just checked today. We've been active less than a whole year, and we just went over 30,000 page views for that blog. And, That's uh, awesome, Justin. Have, have a team of people writing wow. for that now and, and the publication arm, but also the podcast and, and all those other kinds of resources. Uh, it's all about getting that message out and engaging people in that. And, and my first goal was to do that from within the context of uh, a parish ministry. And 
it was, I, I had a group of four or five guys that we were committed to helping each other discover and delight in taking a small next step following Jesus and kind of one step at a time. I walked and they helped me walk towards trying to figure out what this passion was, what this, that, you know, I, I didn't realize until just a couple of years ago that not everybody is hardwired to want to make a unique contribution. Hmm. Like, like some people that's, that's not, they value lots of different things, but a unique contribution is not the most important thing for them. For me, I, there's a lot of different things I could do. Some of them mediocre, some of them pretty well, but the things that I can do that nobody else could quite do that way. That's the thing that excites me and gives me life and gives me energy. And uh, in kind of corporate church America, I found myself doing less and less of the things that I felt really uniquely suited to and more and more of the things that, not that I was bad at them, but somebody else could do. And I had a real open and honest conversation with the staff I was leading, with the lay leaders, and, and I was trying to find a way where I could stay on staff, but step out of a senior pastor role. And they tried to give me some space to figure that out. And uh, I gave them some space to figure it out. And ultimately uh, the church leadership decided they needed a senior pastor before they could figure out what other staff they needed. And even then I thought maybe I could still end up taking a half a step back and then come back in a different role. And it didn't work out that way. Mm. And I think one of the things I've learned in parish ministry, and then also learned to carry over into this new kind of more entrepreneurial ad adventure, although for me, parish ministry always was in some ways an entrepreneurial adventure. Uh, mm. One of the things I've had to learn was the process of grieving well. I think we, we don't lead well sometimes because we don't grieve well. And that's not just true in the church. That's true throughout leadership in, in America in general. Leaders are constantly under uh, pressure to perform. There's always the next thing on their plate. There's always something that doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. There's always people coming into your life or leaving your life because of jobs or other situations. And I didn't know uh, how much grief, and I didn't know to call it grief, uh, I guess, as a senior pastor that I was just things that didn't work out or people that left for sometimes good reasons and sometimes reasons that really hurt. But uh, being able to grieve in a healthy way and let it go so that you can move forward. Uh, I've found now in the situation I'm in, man, uh, if my list of things I should have done can get so long and burdensome that I can't get anything done. Mm. The list of things that I should have done can get so burdensome that I find I can't get anything done. So uh, I have to find a way to let things go and to grieve things that didn't happen the way I thought they were going to mm -hmm. and move on in a healthy way and do something next. And uh, I find when I can do that, it's freeing. So I, I love that. Tell me a little bit Give me some real practical things that you have done or that you do to grieve well as you think about that transition from parish ministry to leading this venture. How have you grieved? Um, I think some of it happens in conversations with other people. Uh, so I've found it really helpful to have some trusted people around me. And, and that was part of the transition is when I was in the parish, I had some people that I had in my immediate kind of circle. And, and when, I, when I left, they, they couldn't be the same people because they had to help the church move forward in a different direction. And I didn't lose those friendships, but most of them shifted. Uh, and very few of them are still significant to me right now. And so I had to find other people that could, could reflect back to me what I was struggling with or could help me see... Uh, I've been working with my wife's cousin, Ken, is a dear friend of mine. And when he heard what I was doing, he just uh, jumped on board. And I've been meeting with him even weekly and that kind of just regular support. He is, uh, thanks be to God, he is a coach for entrepreneurs. So talk about provision at just the right time. Mm, there you go. But he had a whole background in this already and he's been able to walk me through it. And uh, one of the images he shared with me, there, there's two that I found really helpful. Uh, that maybe some of your people will find helpful too. One is the image of kind of walking forward while you're juggling eggs. 
and and you you kind of keep adding eggs from a basket next to you as you walk forward and you're going to drop some eggs and and my natural tendency is always to then look down and deal with the mess in the yard you know and his encouragement is you, you got to keep walking that's you got to just keep just keep going and that is that is a hard for me and b a relief when i can say shoot i wanted to you know launch that audiobook 6 months ago and to be able to say it's okay if that audiobook yeah. never launches oh okay um and now i get to decide is it valuable to continue working on the audiobook or is it okay to let the audiobook completely go by the wayside and those are decisions you can make once you've grieved the fact that you didn't do what you thought you could do, which was get the audiobooks out six months ago. So that that's one specific example. And I think that actually that fits into the category of grief, letting something go that you had intended to do and never got around to, and you feel bad about and you beat yourself up for being able to say, okay, I didn't do that. And that's okay. And I'm going to let that go and keep moving forward. I found that even makes it possible. There are times, Jeff, this is crazy. There are times when once I've said, okay, fine, I didn't get it done and it's okay, I don't have to do it, that I'm then able to do it. But not until then am I able to do it. But you still go do it. Yeah, but then I go do it. But you were not able to do it. As long as it was, it as long as I felt ashamed for not having gotten it done, I couldn't do it. And once I That's let it go, really insightful. I was able to get it done. I picked up two things there uh, in terms of grieving. And I think uh, maybe grief isn't talked about a lot with entrepreneurial ventures or, you know, in business startup conversation, just like fear isn't talked about much. Yeah. And that's my unique niche is that both are really there because there's regret. Um, there's uh, you're when you're on your own, like you said, um, you become very acutely aware of your limitations and uh, your capacity issues aren't what you thought they were. And so there's regret around that. And so how do we let go? I love that you mentioned um, a close group of friends who understand the journey. Ken understands the journey of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, He understands what it's like to want to I wish I would have done that differently. And so if you're watching and you're, you're thinking about launching a dream, who are the people in your life? Um, and you talk about this in discipleship conversation, but in entrepreneurial ventures um, that are on the rope with you, right? Yeah. That are with you in the journey. Sin erchomai is the Greek word that we talk about a lot, right, Justin? Is that yeah. it's a with you yeah. journey. Yeah. Um, it's not a boss um, employee relationship. It's a side-by-side -side relationship. Who are those people that can encourage you, challenge you, uh, give you um, valuable feedback to move forward anyway? And the second thing I learned is besides the circle of friends, I love that you do this in my life. And I know that you do it in so many other people's lives is this idea of metaphor, this idea of pictures that give us just just in the thought of juggling and walking forward juggling eggs i get it it's going to be messy <laughs> because i don't know how to juggle <laughs> so yeah. right off the bat i'm going to be carrying one or two eggs you know and hold on to those and there's going to be a whole lot strewn on the floor but the deal is unless you move forward you're not going to be able to produce any anything right um, so I love that, the, the pictures to help us move forward anyway, and the people to help us move forward anyway. Really great insight today. I really appreciate it. Well, so, and I think, I think that image of the eggs gets at both the grief and the fear. I mean, what part of what we're afraid of is losing things or things not going well. Uh, you know, it's not, mess. It, imagine that you're going to make 100 phone calls. This is something that I I, Ken is having me do, and I'm doing it because I trust him, but I can tell I don't want to because I've been dragging my feet, but uh, I've got to go call a hundred pastors and talk to them and ask them some questions and, and maybe even sell some books. And I feel like a traveling salesman and we've worked on all that and, and I'm, I'm ready and equipped and I still haven't done it. And, and part of it is the, I'm not really looking forward to having 99 people, you know, not answer my phone call or hang up on me or say they're not interested. And I don't, it, it, 
that's not fun. It, that's a fear thing. Move, move forward anyway. Uh, that's a grief thing. You have to grieve people not seeing you the way you thought they should see you. Move, move forward anyway. Uh, yeah. you, the fear involved in you have to juggle these eggs and walk forward, but I don't know how to juggle. That's a fear statement. Yeah. And part of what you're afraid of is the mess. But unless you move forward and start juggling, you'll never learn to juggle. And if you spend time on every egg you drop, you'll never get anywhere. So uh, yeah, mm. I think fear, I think fear and grief go together in that kind of move forward anyway mentality. Yeah. You're going to grieve, move, move forward anyway. So talking about that, you, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs who are not solo. They're, they're married. Mm -hmm. They have a family and they have a dream. They know they have to do something. The, the vision is so clear that the pain of not pursuing it becomes greater than the pain of not doing it. And there are people in their life that might not be in the same place. And I don't know your story with Miriam or your kids when, when you decided to pull the trigger and go for this and to really take, you know, it was a next step, but it was a big next step to not side hustle, findmynextstep.org, but to actually say goodbye to the security and safety of a paycheck and a congregation and a position to this brand new thing that is completely unknown Talk to me about the moment when you and Miriam had the conversation and you decided we, we need to do this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think two things. One is I don't think I could have had it any better. And the second is it was still hard. So let me unpack both of those. Uh, I, I was a part of a family growing up where my dad, when I was, I think, a freshman in high school, decided to go back to seminary and commute from Flint, Michigan to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and, and be out of the house for part of the year and all that. And when he decided he was heading towards a seminary, he brought the family together, my sister and myself and my mom. And we talked about it as a family. And he said, here's what I see. And here's what I'm hearing. And here's what other people are telling me. And this is what I feel. And this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think? And then he got input from us kids. And that modeled for me mm. uh, an awareness of how important it is to share our dreams with the people that are closest to us so they can get some buy-in, but also give you some honest feedback. And that meant a lot to me that my dad, uh, that old guy would ask me this freshman in high school, my opinion about something big and important like that. And that's what then I did with my kids is when it came to that kind of moment of decision, I brought my kids into the room with my wife. And I said, here's what I see. And here's what we're thinking. And this is what it would mean. And this is what it means for schools and how we're going to have to sell our house. And, and that would mean probably moving in with, you know, grandma for a while, maybe six months or maybe longer. It's been a year and a half now. Um, and, <laughs> wow. and, you know, what does that mean for schools? And we don't know. And, and there was some grief and loss for the whole family in that process. One of the things, I mean, my wife and my kids both, I remember my kids saying, well, dad, no, that's, that sounds obvious to us. We're, we see you in your job right now and we know what you are bringing home. I was, I was not living in a weekly, daily, monthly rhythm that resonated well with me and, and brought out the best in me and that mm. they paid the price for that. And so they were glad to say, yeah, no, we know what you do well, and we know what you're doing right now, and we know it, and we, we love you, but we'd rather you not, you know, <laughs> be exhausted every Sunday afternoon <laughs> and not want to talk to us on Saturday, and, and you know, <laughs> so um, that was, and when I stepped out, there's that period where we were in, in transition and, and both trying to wonder how it might work for the congregation and for us, and, and my kids said, you know, you're just, you you're, you act like a different person now. And that's, that was an important feedback for me to get to, to hear as, as hard as it is to leave your job and sell your house and step out in the unknown. It was way better than what, what did you say? I just, you know, it's the thing I couldn't not do anymore. Yeah, and they were with me on that. And Miriam was with me on that. Miriam had always said she wanted to go back to teaching when our kids were old enough. And this was a chance for her now 
I mean, she said, I'll go back to work. And she didn't go back to teaching right away. That's how she was trained. But she went and did some church communication stuff first, just to have a job to have insurance for the family. And she was willing to go do that because she was invested. Ultimately, I, I would love to see the two of us working full-time for Next Step Press. Yeah. But the next step was for her to go get a job that paid the bills. And uh, she put me through seminary and she's helped bridge the, the first step to Next Step Press. And I couldn't ask for anything better. Mm-hmm. And it was still hard. And it was still hard. Miriam would say, and I think this has to do with grief and fear too. Miriam said to me more than once in those first six or eight or 12 months, um, I, I have to remember, I'm not angry with you. I, I said, I agreed with you. I said, this is what we want to do. And we did it. And it's great. And every now and then my feelings tell me I'm mad at you. And I think some of that was the grief and, and, and the transition and the change. And you know what I quote unquote did to her, although she was on board, uh, it was still me doing something. And she was angry that it didn't work out the way we had thought. And she had her own grief that she was processing too. So it was the best it could have possibly been. And uh, there was still grief and anger and misunderstanding. And, and man, I, I'm so thankful for the support I have for my wife and, and my kids. And we continue to try to figure out what it means to have this rhythm where we can be involved. I've involved some of my kids in Next Step Press. Naomi's done some work for me. My eldest, she's 19. She's a sophomore at Wayne State. She's getting ready to apply for nursing school. Um, she writes for the blog. She, we, I published some of her articles and Miriam's articles in an anthology book that we published through Next Step Press from the Next Step community. Uh, Naomi took the lead on our next publication is going to be the emotional devotional, following Jesus in every emotion, written by teenage girls for teenage girls. And, and Naomi took the lead on that project. And she and my two other daughters and my good friend, Steve Wishman, he's one of those guys on my rope. He's got two daughters and their ages go from 19 down to 13. And Naomi said, yep, that's going to be my project. And I I was the editor, but she was the assistant editor and she really organized the whole thing. And, you know, it's been cool to see my family. They, They shared the dream, but they get to participate in the dream too. And somehow, Somehow that's important to us as well. And that's one of the things I'm missing with Miriam right now is she's not able to participate in the dream in the same way we would both like her to. Uh, yeah. And when they're able to engage, then the whole thing becomes a little bit easier for, for me and I think for everybody. I love that, that um, it becomes a family venture uh, together and everyone gets to contribute, participate. Well, I, I just uh, hope hope and pray that uh, it gets to be such a... Um, an effective, um, life-producing, providing um, venture for you that Miriam and you can work side by side and participate in the in the full, the full thing. Um, I I find with dreams a lot that there's a problem that the entrepreneur is trying to solve. Mm. Um, some of the the greatest inventions were someone had a problem. And they found a solution to it. And then that launched into a whole, a whole new thing for, for a blessing for the world, right? Um, so what's the problem that findmynextstep.org is solving? I think that we understand church and we understand everyday life and we don't typically understand how to bring the two together. And I guess Next Up Press and, and the Next Up community is born out of that desire to see the thing that I love most about reading the scriptures and, and you know, translating the Greek and preaching a sermon to, to be translated somehow into everyday ordinary life. I, I don't know if a generation or two ago they were better at that. Uh, it seems like you know society itself was centered more around the church. It was where you went for social gatherings and it's it was much more... a place of your entertainment as as well as your education, or if they never were particularly good at either, you just couldn't tell because they was so overlapped, you know, Mm -hmm. like church life and regular life overlapped so much that you assumed they went together. But I don't think it translated particularly well. How do you follow Jesus in your everyday life? Um, and, And how is it not a burden, but a joy? So I guess that's the 
I don't think we know you and I have talked and, and we haven't come up with a good answer yet, but we're going to keep working on, on things like how do you even measure what it means to, to mm. grow as a follower of Jesus, to take a next step regularly. And uh, how do you measure something besides how often you attend your church church's zoom worship service or uh, how many verses of the Bible you read a day or, or how many dollars you give online. I mean, those are measures, but, but how do you measure following Jesus? And, and it's, it's not that I think it's, um, it's much more of a GPS than a GPA. You're, you're not grading mm-hmm. the so much as orienting yourself towards Jesus. And how do we give people a GPS instead of a, a list of, of, you know, Christian subjects that they're graded in, you know, are you a D minus worshiper? Are you an A plus worshiper? And how do you bridge the gap? No, it's more like, where's Jesus inviting you to go? And and how would you know? And and what does it mean to take a next step? And uh, that to me is exciting and adventurous, and it opens the path for unique adventures and even blind alleys and scenic detours in a way that just, you know, am I, am I, am I above average Christian or not? That's a different kind of question. And that, that feels to me deadening and burdening and the, uh, what's Jesus up to next? And how do I, how do I take a next step following him? That to me sounds exciting and, and painful and scary and could go terribly wrong, but is way better than uh, just measuring how often I go to church or don't. Um, so I guess that's, that's what I would say to what's, that's the problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah, I, I heard two two problems. Um, one is that, uh, and I think it's in the the metaphor of GPA versus GPS. The problem that we we tend to measure Christianity based on how much information we know, mm. or that we know that. So don't tell me anymore. I, I know it, but the reality is there's traction, there's movement, there's a GPS, there's a direction that we're headed, there's a lifestyle attached to it, there's movement with it. And so the problem you're trying to solve is taking all of the, what people perceive the scriptures to be, especially the outside, outside the church world, they perceive it to be a bunch of um, theological uh, treatises or information that we've got to make sure everybody believes this certain way instead of an invitation to a life on life journey. Right. Right. And so um, that is a huge problem that you're solving Hmm. and that it's, it's being solved by helping people take the next step, not don't think what's ultimate, think what's next. Yeah. And you know, that's Jesus invitation, right. was follow me. It wasn't even believe in me. Right. So you can go to heaven one day. It was follow me. And so there's this side-by-side, step-by-step solution that you're helping people understand with very practical things. Like we just went through your Advent devotional. Yeah. Ways to pray. Ways to read the Bible. Show me how. Yeah. Uh, We talk about that a lot at the church where I serve is if we just tell people to do something and don't show them how we just lay a guilt trip on them. Exactly. Um, So we should be showing each other how. And the the other thing I noticed in what you were talking about um, in a problem solution is the, the, the whole, the whole thing about this book delight is the solution you're trying to provide is to help people wake up to the reality that the discipleship journey is about loving and being loved. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? I mean, we heard a lot about that just recently from the highest levels of leadership in our country at the inauguration. Over and over again, if we just but dare to be the light, if we just but dare to love. Yeah. Um, and that was revolutionary language for some on Wednesday, the 20th of January, but not for us. Yeah. <laughs> We've been hearing that language from childhood and yet it's gotten covered over in the church at many times with a lot of duty and obligation and weightiness. Right. Yeah. So kudos to you for providing a solution. 
and well, for thanks. taking I'm, I'm, the risk. Working on it, man. I don't, I don't have it yet, but we're, we're sure. I understand. Try. We're I mean, gonna, you I'm know, not take, take one small step in the all the answers. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, but that's, that's but that's point. that's the danger. Is is that I think uh, maybe that's an entrepreneurial principle too. Is that if you wait till you have all the answers, you'll never, wow. never gonna do it. You know, if if you wait till you have the perfect idea, you're you're never gonna act. If you wait until you've got all the wrinkles ironed out, good. or that you're living it perfectly. That's the same thing. If we if get tripped wait, up, we get tripped up as entrepreneurs all the time, don't we? With this imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And fear creeps in because, oh my gosh, I'm going to put this out there. They're going yeah. to discover. They're going to yep. discover someday, Justin, that you don't always practice what you preach, but absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and if I waited until I got my act together, until I put that out there, if if I didn't dare to put a book out there about delight until I knew I was just only delighting all the time. <laughs> I'd never get it done. You'd never get it done. Yeah. And if I waited for perfect people to help me, if, if I waited for people who always got it right when they were encouraging me or helping or praying for me, I'd never have anybody in my life that did it either. Well, all we've got is imperfect people <laughs> around us and, and, and us too. So we get to that. That's what we have to work with. And that's, and that's okay. So you move forward anyway. Not, yeah. not to steal your line or anything, but that's, <laughs> that's good. It's, it's a real, the fear that you're going to let other people down or that other people are going to let you down, I think has to be count as one of those fears for any entrepreneur, not just that, uh, not just that your venture is going to fail, but that you're going to disappoint people or let people down hmm. and that other people are going to man, take advantage of you or let you down or not come through. Like they said, uh, that's another thing. Hey, that's another thing I've, I've learned. And Ken helped me see that too, is, you know, I, <laughs> the first time somebody was like, Hey, that's a great idea. I want to buy a hundred year delight books for my church. And I'm all gung ho. And I think this is going to be great. And I'll get back with you. And then a couple of weeks later, they emailed me and they're like, ah, I talked to my board of elders and we looked at our budget and the attendance down a little bit. And I bought a book, but I don't, I don't think we're going to buy a hundred book. And I was, I was like devastated. You know, this was a, finally there's going to be some traction and there's some success and here's somebody writing a check. And, and then they kind of, and Ken was like, you kidding me? That happens like 60% of the time. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like they, they, they want to do it and they're excited and they say they're going to do it. And then something happens and then they don't do it. And uh, so have knowing that the next time that happened, I was like, Hey, no problem. I get it. And if you still, you know, still useful later, let me know. And, you know, it was, I was much more gracious. The first time I felt crushed and I think I probably responded, I wasn't mean about it, but I don't know that I texted him back and I don't know that it was, you know, I mean, it hurt. So I kind of yeah. let that person even kind of go fall by the wayside. The next time after Ken kind of told me that 60 to 70% of the time when they say they're going to do it, they still don't do it. Uh, you know, that's after the, the takes a hundred to get one. And then 60% of the ones that say they will still don't You're like, Oh, well, well now I've got a different way of evaluating. And the next time uh, that happened, I was much more gracious and much more encouraging. And that guy actually called me back a couple weeks later and said, you know what? I changed my mind again. Just send me a hundred books. We'll find a way to pay for it. So, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of cool to see how my own response was shaped by what I imagined should be happening. The first time I was disappointed in somebody else. Yeah. The second time I expected it. So it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and now you're calling cold calling a hundred uh, 100 pastors and the percentage will probably drop to 20 to 30 percent right yeah. <laughs> and but, and that's okay and that's to be yeah. expected and god love them and they and and i really respect what I, I know what the parish pastor is doing and i know it's hard and i want to help them if i can and if they yeah. can't receive that help right now that's okay with me too and uh still so made you're the learning first you're learning a lot as you're taking steps forward no other way to do it tell, I, just tell me just quickly what what are some of the things, lessons you're learning or learning about uh, running your own business, running your own venture? What, what are some of the things you've been learning? Oh, gosh. Um, well, time management, personal time management is a big thing that I still need to keep learning. That, that continues to be a, a struggle. Just what, what do I do in my day and in my week? And how do I get out of this feeling bad about the stuff I didn't get done uh, as opposed to rejoicing what I did. That's, that's ongoing struggle. 
Um, but I've learned all kinds of stuff. I mean, just recently in the last, since the Biba award became a thing, I then had to figure out how to write a press release. Cause I thought that'd be a good yeah. idea to like make a press release. So I did a press release. And before this interview, I was just on the phone with the local reporter from the Livingston daily. And she was interviewing me because she got my press release. And you know, the other nine that went out didn't get a, but you know, I've learned yeah. to expect that. So it's so you <laughs> celebrate that one person called you back and that's great. And it was a really wonderful conversation with a nice reporter. And, but that meant I had to learn how to embed uh, like tracking codes in a URL link that Google Analytics can track so that I know whether that was a Flint Journal person that clicked on that link or whether it was a Livingston County News person that clicked the link. And so some of it is just technical. Um, and a lot of it, so this goes, I, I said earlier, there are two images that were really important for me. And, and this is where the second one I think comes into play. Ken was the one that taught me this too. And uh, I don't know if you know how the Romans built those arches, you know, like the stone arch that the, that kind of is self-supporting without any mortar. Yeah. And, and the way they build that is they, they build a pile of sandbags and then they place the stones and they keep building up the sandbags until the sandbags can support the whole arch and the arch is in place. And then once the arch is in place, you can cut the sandbags or release the sand and then cart the sand out and you've got a self-suspending uh, arch. Ken's point was everything I'm doing right now, I'm doing almost everything myself. I'm not doing everything myself, but I'm doing almost everything myself. And at some point the editing and the web page design and the blogging and, and, and the copywriting and the shoot, I don't know how many different programs I've learned everything from Google analytics to, I don't know, Canva graphic design to a MailChimp and type form. And most of the, um, <laughs> and I, I, again, I get frustrated that I paid, I'm paying monthly for this or I paid the annual fee and I'm not using it. And I get, and that hang, I get hung up on that. That's yep. one of my eggs. I, you know, I should have, and I should have, and I ought to, and I, and at some point you got to say, Hey, that $300 is gone and let it go. And if you don't use it, you know, try not to automatically subscribe next year, but you yeah. let that three hundred dollars go and and keep moving forward, man. Back. Keep moving Move forward, forward baby. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm doing right now is still carrying and piling sandbags, and at some point, at some point, there'll be enough there that we can get a structure in place where there can be other people who are helping edit or other people who are. I've had yeah. some great people do some graphic design for covers and and some some layout, not all the layout, but some of the layout, and that's been a real gift. But uh, yeah, I can't, as an entrepreneur, there, there's that tipping point where you're putting in all the work and you have to do it. Your, there's a time period where you have to do it yourself. Yeah. And then there is a light at the end of the tunnel where not every, Bring in some not other partners you have yeah. to do yourself. And I'm looking forward to putting a stone at the top and, and noticing that it's, yeah. you know, start cutting some sandbags. That will be a good day. We'll, we'll celebrate that, Jeff. We'll, uh, we we'll will celebrate this cutting of the sandbags day. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. One last question, and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate your time. Um, what's one thing I didn't ask you that I should have asked you today? As you think about people who are listening to this podcast, who are um, considering a dream, have considered it for a while, are afraid, hesitant have self-talk that keeps them from moving forward, but you know, they know in their gut that they're designed to do this, whatever it is. And it might not mean taking the full plunge like you did. It might mean starting slow and doing a side hustle. It doesn't matter. It might mean writing a song or um, putting something out there that they've already written. I just talked to an author that's got a full book written, but he's afraid to publish it. Um, so what would you tell them? I think, I think for me, it gets back to that, uh, that concept that we're operating from God's delight rather than trying to earn God's delight. Um, and not everyone has that same kind of religious uh, or scriptural background. So, but I think there's something in there that's still valid or true that at some point you have to, ex if you when you're able to accept your own limitations and your own failures and the, the worst of who you are, as well as the best of who you are and accept them together rather than separately, 
I think that's what allows you to move forward anyway. Um, you mm. can be afraid. And, and that's one of the things I like about the way you talk about it, Jeff, is you don't hide the fact that fear is a part of the process. You're like, of course, it's going to be terrifying. Move <laughs> forward anyway. Yeah. Um, it, and, and you acknowledge that. Uh, we talked about grief today. Yeah, there's grief that comes in. You, to say yes to something, you have to say no to something. Mm. Uh, and there's grief in that. And, and that's okay. Um, and you're going to fail at some things. And when you're able to say, I'm going to fail at some things, and this is still going to be an adventure, and they're going to be people, some people that think I'm an idiot, and this is still going to be an adventure, and I'm going to love some of this, and I'm going to hate some of this, and I'm going to learn some things about myself I wish I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. And it's going to be okay. I think that's the, the, when you find the thing you can't not do, then you get to be okay with the, the person that can't not do that. And, and if you can wed those things together, accepting who you are and accepting the thing you can't not do, um, that's, I think that's for me what, what moves you forward. That's so great. I um, appreciate that final word. And I appreciate you, appreciate your time. I appreciate the work you're doing to help people um, with really significant things. And um, wish you the best. Uh, in closing, why don't you tell people where they can find out more about you and where they can purchase your books? Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks. 100, 100 copies at a time. 100 copies uh, or more at a time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you can you can find me on Amazon and, and you, can, you can search for Justin Ross and there'll be an author page there. Uh, that the community, the Next Step community blogs at community.findmynextstep.org. And that's got a bunch of uh, good resources there too. Uh, you you mentioned the Next Step Press webpage, which is findmynextstep.org. Those are good places to go. You know, the Next Step podcast is on the iTunes, Apple iTunes and Google podcasts and Spotify and a couple other places. And uh, yeah, in general, if you would like to email innovation at findmynextstep.org, that's how you could get, you know, we, we try to, if you've got a bulk order and you don't mind waiting a couple of weeks, it's helpful for, to me, if you're going to order 50 or more books, if we can kind of connect and then I can, uh, I can help resource you with other materials, but that's, you know, it, I get a little better rate from you directly than, than if you buy through Amazon, but yeah, that's, that's more for partnership than anything else. Those are some places you could find me and on awesome. Facebook and, you know, Twitter and all that kind of and stuff. And all in my, uh, in all the uh, episode notes here for my podcast, all these links will be in here guys who are watching. So you don't have to feverishly write these things down. Um, they'll be all in the show notes and uh, links for you to connect directly with Justin. I appreciate Justin, you being on today. Uh, my deep love and appreciation to Miriam and to your kids uh, for allowing you to be who you were designed to be and for being a part of that and discovering their own dreams in the process. What an awesome thing that you're doing this yeah. together. Yeah. So it'll be exciting it watching your journey okay. and seeing where it takes you. Thanks for your partnership with me, your friendship, and uh, the time today and this Friday to uh, record this podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Your encouragement and friendship mean a lot to me. Thanks, man. Awesome, brother. Hey, fellow dreamer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all the show notes and links. And remember, fear will come, fear will stay. Move forward anyway.